Hello, and welcome to the Faith and Sustainability Podcast. I am your host, Leonard Robinson. This podcast is a project of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Atlanta, Laudato Si Initiative. On this podcast, we will go on a journey to explore the role of the Catholic Church and other faiths impact in sustainability. Experts, theologians, and thought leaders will share their opinions and perspectives as guests on the podcast. Sustainability focuses on meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. The concept of sustainability is composed of three pillars, social, environmental, and economic, also known as people, planet, and prosperity. This podcast is made possible with the generous funding and support from the Archbishop's Annual Appeal, Georgia Interfaith Power and Light, Rutherford Seidel, Jamie Lanier, the Volomoff Family Foundation, the Sustainable Environmental Management Company, St. Francis Services, and the time, treasure, and talent from several individuals. The Faith and Sustainability Podcast is coming to you from the Archdiocese of Atlanta Chancery in Smyrna, Georgia. We're blessed to have Jack Grow. He's the director of the National Football League Environmental Program and a principal in the consulting firm of U.S. Green Sports. Jack has been a communications and environmental consultant for more than 25 years and has worked in the NFL for Super Bowl events since 1993. Under his leadership, the Super Bowl has become recognized as the greatest professional sports championship in America. He also serves as sustainability consultant for the College Football Playoff National Championship since its debut in 2015. Jack has coordinated environmental projects for the U.S. Department of Energy, Argonne National Labs, the Northeast Sustainable Energy Association, the American Solar Energy Society, the State of Rhode Island, the National Clean City Coalition, and the United States Consortium for Automotive Research, a joint initiative of GM, Ford, and Chrysler. Well, Jack, welcome to the Archdiocese of Atlanta Faith and Sustainability Podcast. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Leonard, and it's, and, and, and it's good to see you. It's been too many years since we've... Uh, uh, since we've had a chance to connect there in the in the great and wonderful city of Atlanta. So it's good to see you again. It's good to be seen, considering we came through a pandemic. Jack, along with the other things I've I've talked about, what else do you do? Well, you know, we, we keep busy with a lot of different projects during the year. Obviously, with our contract with NFL, we've got the four big events every year, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, the draft, and the uh, the kickoff events in uh, September. So So those keep us hopping throughout the year. You know, folks sometimes say, say uh, hey, I, I understand you work Super Bowl. What do you do the other 364 days of the year? <laughs> it's like, well, we spend 362 of them getting ready for Super Bowl. And uh, uh, the the rest of it, we're working on other projects. But uh, we um, took good advantage of the pandemic, uh, both my wife, Susan, and I. And Susan, by the way, is my partner in uh, in our venture. And we recently started a new consulting uh, venture called Legacy Sustainability, which allows us to take on other non-sports as well as sports projects. Uh, because as you mentioned, yeah, we we, uh, we contract with the NFL and we have for 30 years now, we've been the uh, main contractor for environmental programs uh, for the NFL. And uh, I um, w- was recently at a, at a conference and uh, one of my colleagues from one of our other major sports leagues uh, during his speech referred to Susan and I as the grandparents of sustainability in America, uh, which I, uh, when he was off the stage, I said, could you knock that off? I said, parents, <laughs> call it parents. Of, but no, 
none of this. I am a gra- I am a grandfather now, but let's you know let's keep that just between us, all right? So we we keep busy with this, and and you know sustainability, as you know, Leonard, is an ongoing process. You, you don't read a book or take a course or get a degree and you're done. Sustainability is constantly changing and morphing and expanding, and new principles and new technology. So uh, uh, you, you know a big part of our you know weekly uh, tasks is to just keep up with all the latest changes in uh, in sustainability, whether it's uh, artificial intelligence, COP26 or 27, whether it's the sustainable development goals at the U- UN, there's a lot to keep up with. So true. It's very, very dynamic. Now, here's a question everybody wants to know, besides how can I get Super Bowl tickets? They want to know, how did you get started with the National Football League and their environmental program? A, a colleague of mine in Atlanta, uh, you know, this was back in 1993, uh, he went to the uh, senior vice president of the league at a luncheon and uh, just said to him after the event, said, uh, what are you doing about the environmental impact of Super Bowl? In the world of professional sports, no one had ever asked that question. But the answer that we got from Jim Steig, who was at that time the senior vice president of NFL, was, what do you think I should do? Which I thought was a brilliant response to something that nobody, it, was, it wasn't on anybody's radar, it wasn't on anybody's agenda, but uh, Jim Steig was a visionary. He was the guy who took Super Bowl basically from a football game into the, the mega you know, world-class event that it is today over his uh, more than two-decade tenure at, at that. So that began the first project, which, as you might remember, began in Atlanta at the Georgia Dome where Super Bowl 28, and we began a recycling project. We didn't realize at the time until we got into it that nobody at any stadium, ballpark, arena, or conference center or convention center in America was actually doing solid waste recycling. So we had we had no guidebook. We had no template that we could use. So we basically made it up as, as we went along. You know, and within a few years, NFL stadiums started to pick up on this and started to work with us and develop their own recycling systems. Eventually, it took a while, but eventually other sports leagues and events started to do the same thing. So uh, I've I've stuck with it now since uh, since that 1993 uh, 94 uh, season. That's 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that 30 years ago, and, and but it's expanded year by year. I don't think two years goes by where we don't add some new element around sustainability. Uh, a lot of our focus in the last eight to 10 years, Leonard, has been around community and legacy as opposed to operations. So when I talk about operations, I'm talking about things like recycling and renewable energy and food recovery and material recovery and donation. When I talk about community, I'm talking about things like our community greening programs, building um, uh, you know, building community gardens in food desert neighborhoods, uh, uh, planting trees in urban environments that, that have no tree canopy, uh, restoring uh, pollinator uh, habitat or, or native habitat, as well as doing programs with kids to collect uh, sports equipment and um, uh, books and other things that that kids, uh, particularly kids in lower income neighborhoods, really need. There's a shortage. And then we've got a few others. We do a salute to service and we do a career seminar for kids. We do fan engage. So these are the community things. And this is what really has, uh, I think, has distinguished uh, the, the, the kinds of programs that we work on because we really want to impact as many people as we can. Walk us through, I know you, you kind of alluded to it, but walk us through what does it take to make the Super Bowl sustainable? Well, I mentioned some of the operation stuff. You, you know, th- there's a lot of food left over. Uh, we have to set up a, a system in each city to recover the food in, in a timely fashion and donate it to soup kitchen shelters, churches, others that, that, that feed people in need. Uh, renewable energy is an easy piece of it. It wasn't years ago, but now it's an easy piece. Uh, the uh, material recovery is really the the jewel piece around Super Bowl. 
Um, I'll give you just one example. At the draft recently in Kansas City, we recovered everything left after the draft. We're talking about lumber and building materials, fabric, vinyl, carpeting, uh, signage material, electronic material, cable, everything that could be recovered for any type of use was recovered. We ended up with 25 different agencies that recovered material. And I don't want to go through the whole list, but just one of them was Habitat. And Habitat recovered 35 truckloads of material in one week uh, post-event. All of that material goes back to Habitat Restore. 35 truckloads of material were sold by them into the local community. All that money goes back into building houses. There's an impact here that goes way beyond what you see on, on television when you experience the uh, uh, the sports. But but that's just an idea of what we do on the operation side. And on the community side, as I mentioned, uh, one of our key elements there is the greening program. We set up a grant program in each community we go into. We usually have a, a, a fund of about $50,000 that we can parcel out in, in small grants to local communities to do greening projects in their community. You know, usually it's like a three or $4,000 grant per project, which is plenty to build a community garden or to do some tree planting. Um, this year, we've doubled that thanks to the generosity of some sponsors who want to get involved in this kind of thing. So this year, uh, Super Bowl moves to Las Vegas. It's conceivable we'll be able to do as many as 12 projects throughout the entire Clark County area. And those projects will impact virtually every community around uh, Las Vegas. I, I got a taste of it when I worked with you in Atlanta. And there's a couple of uh, nonprofits that appreciate the carpeting they got, you know, the cool carpeting they got and the furniture that they got. I can tell by your work, it goes beyond just compliance and having to do it. There's something deeper. And let's talk about that. There's a Judaic concept, and it's called tikkun alam. T-I-K-K-U-N-O-L-A-M. I would suggest everybody look it up because you're going to see some fabulous stories. But look at the genesis of this. We have to go to the book of Genesis. Uh, and in the book of Genesis, uh, as, as we all know who've, who've read the story, uh, the story is, is that God created the, the heavens and the earth and everything in them. But then he said to Adam, okay, I've done my piece. You take care of it. That's your task. So one way to look at that is the job was never really finished. The job was never over. So, so the job was never completely done. It was left to us to carry it on and to finish that work. Uh, and, and so tikkun alum, to translate it into English is simple. It basically means to repair the world, uh, to fix, repair, or improve the world. The idea is to look for those things in the world that are broken, that are unfinished, that um, need repair, that, 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 that don't work. Uh, that, that need improvement and to identify those things and then to look at your own responsibility. Um, we've all been given tools, Leonard. We, we all have tools, whether it's our brains, our heart, our, our, our faith, our, our hands. Uh, we, we have tools and resources. No matter who you are, you've been given some tools. So if a problem is put in front of you and you look and you say, wait a minute, I have the tools to fix it. Well, maybe I need to connect the dots and say, why was this put in my face? Why was this put right in front of me? And why was I given the tools to fix it? So maybe I need to step up and do that. Now, it could be a, a broken bicycle uh, that a child has and you have a wrench and a screwdriver, but it could be a person who's broken, a person who's sad or hurting. And, and you realize that you have the capacity to somehow console them or to reach out a hand and help them. Well, if you're in that situation, doggone it, you, you need to step up 
and take responsibility. So again, my, my wife Susan and I work work on sustainability projects and have for decades now. And thanks to support from the NFL, we've been able to take that same Takun alum concept and apply that on one of the biggest stages in the world, Super Bowl, as well as the other NFL projects. So so that's where I think the the concept of faith and sustainability, that that to me is the intersection. The sustainability and of the Super Bowl and working with NFL is, seems almost like a ministry for you. Would that be correct? It's certainly a mission. I, I'm not quite sure about ministry, but I think mission is is, is the word I would use to describe it, Le- Leonard. It, it we are on a mission. I you know I recently spoke to some uh, folks at a uh, sports sustainability conference, and, and we were on a a riverboat tour of areas of uh, Native American population that have been devastated by some of the weather things that we discussed earlier. And uh, a couple of the folks from the community kind of led that that boat trip to fill all these sports sustainability folks in on on this problem, on this issue. But uh, NFL sponsored that that boat trip. So uh, myself and my wife, Susan, and our colleague, uh, Michaela Hobbs, were asked to speak. And one thing I said to them was this. Everybody that's on this boat trip today has something in common. Everybody here works in the world of sports somehow or related to sports or events or stadiums or something. Everybody here is working on sustainability. And here's my perspective on it. If you're committed to improving your organization, your company, your um, your, your sports league, your sports club, if you're committed to that, you're setting the bar too low. The mission here for us and the mission that, that I proposed to, to all these sustainability folks was we're not here to make this sports organization or this company or, or this this outfit improve it and make it better. We're here to make the planet better, to make the world better, to make it a better place for my grandkids as well as everybody else's grandkids and great-grandkids. And if we all begin to see the mission as that, at that point, we really have our eye on the prize, which is we can use our influence with sports or corporate organizations or, or banks or wherever we work, we can use that as, as a platform or as a tool or as a resource. But we have to keep in mind that our mission and our goal it has to be much higher than that. And that's what we're doing here at the Archdiocese of Atlanta. We have a Laudato Si initiative, which comes from the Pope's encyclical, which brings me to the point, do you work with Catholic and other faith-based organizations during Super Bowl and college football uh, playoffs? Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, there's two in particular uh, that we work with, although we work we work with a lot. The uh, Catholic diocese in each city that we uh, have Super Bowl, they're virtually always, I, I think there's only one year that we missed out, but, but they're always a key partner in our Super Kids Super Sharing program. And the Super Kids program, we, we recruit up to 100 schools. And during the month of January, they'll be bringing in gently used or sometimes brand new books, sports equipment, school supplies, and games, and they'll be collecting them at their school. And then we set aside one day, three weeks before Super Bowl, and that's our Super Kids Day. And then a couple of kids from each one of these schools will come into that event and bring boxes and bags and bundles and all kinds of stuff. Um, We collect it, we categorize it, but in every city that we go into, one of our first calls is to the diocese office, usually the superintendent of schools for the Catholic diocese. And um, we present the program to them. And given the the Catholic Church's emphasis uh, you, you know, on social responsibility, Catholic uh, schools just jump on this program in a minute. And, and they make it part of their, their uh, students' community service program. Typically, in one hour, on, on that Thursday morning, in one hour, we'll bring in anywhere from 25 to 50,000 items 
will will come in the door. And by the time we wrap up and clean up the gym and put everything away and, and uh, uh, get out of there, uh, every single item that, that was collected in the morning will have been distributed into the local uh, community. So, so yeah, the, the Catholic diocese is always a key partner in that, but but there are others. There may be small uh, private schools. There may be uh, small um, ecumenical schools. But you know we're pretty uh, we're a pretty Catholic type of uh, organization in the dictionary meaning of Catholic, meaning inclusive of, of of everybody. You know all this work that you do and all this good that you. How do you feel at the end of the day when when you do get a break? How, you know how do you feel? Exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me, <laughs> but, No, no, uh, uh, pretty good. I, I mean, it, it, no, no matter what, I, I think no matter what profession or what job you, you, you're working in, if if you're looking at ways to improve the, the, the world around you, um, it, it's it's hard not to go home at the end of the day and, and, and have a, a good feeling, no matter how tired you are. In fact, here's one of the legacy pieces, Leonard, that I'll tell you about. Um, we did a project in Arizona for last year's Super Bowl. Uh, we, we decided to restore the ecosystem of the Lower Salt River in, in Phoenix, which sounds like, oh, my God, that's uh, that's uh, th- that's too big a problem. Well, we brought in a whole crew of retired uh, Navy SEALs and other special ops uh, combat divers. Um, we recruited uh, 400 volunteers from the local community. Um, there was an invasive species in, in the river that needed to be removed. Um, over the course of the day, we removed... Uh, including the eggs that we removed of these invasive snails, um, we reduced the population by about 350,000 of these critters were pulled out of the, the river. But all these hundreds of people also joined us and went up and down the riverbanks, cleaning trash, you, you know, trying to restore this recreation area and restore this environment. So fast forward to about a month later, um, we got a call from one of the, the many nonprofit organizations that worked with us. Uh, but we got a call from them and they said, hey, guess what? They said, those those 400 people that you recruited, they said, we just did another big conservation event and we had a couple of hundred people show up for it. And they said, we, we surveyed everybody how they heard about it. They said 100 of those volunteers said they had never done a conservation project in their life before they worked on the Salt River project. And what attracted them was Super Bowl, NFL, all the, the, the glitz and glamour. And they said, but it, it was such a meaningful experience to them that now they volunteer regularly to do this. So again, it creates that legacy piece where now all of a sudden you've got folks who have gotten a taste of what it means to go out and forget about yourself for a bit and try and do something for the world. And um, doggone it, it does does feel pretty good. So you created all this and you didn't even have a roadmap on how to do it. You just kind of... uh... It, it just just kind of took a life of its own, it sounds like. Well, it did. There was a lot of research done, though, because once we got that little recycling piece done in Atlanta, you know, we, we of course, took that and we've done that now for 30 years. And, and we go into a stadium and we look at their waste diversion system. And because we've got 30 years of experience, oftentimes we can go in a stadium and say, hey, we think you can do better. And, and we can connect you with somebody in Tampa. We can connect you with somebody in, in uh, Michigan who has some insight that we've worked with, and they can help you ramp up your game. So we're, we're able to do that kind of stuff. But basically what we've done, Leonard, is each year we, we pull our head up out of, the, out of the pond and we look around and we say, what other impacts do we have here? What, what, how, how are we impacting people in this community, either negatively, which we need to reduce, or positively, which we need to I- increase, and, and just take a hard look at what we're doing 
Um, you know, we get in the community a year before Super Bowl and we meet, gosh, we meet with everybody. We meet with city officials, we meet with nonprofits, we meet with uh, re religious organizations, with, with uh, uh, you know, f folks who help uh, homeless and folks who help uh, 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 children. And, you know, we just meet with it and we, we try and get a, a feeling for what are the issues in this community? What are the things that people in this community say, gosh, we want to do something about it. Can you guys, uh, you know, bring some resources to bear and, and help us with it? So, yeah, the program just grows and grows and grows. How can our listeners get in contact with you, uh, especially if they want to get involved in the, the Super Bowls and the national championships? There's our website at uh, NFL.com. Another way would be through uh, LinkedIn is probably one of the best, Linden, one of the easiest ways uh, to reach any any of us. We post information there as well, too, so folks can sort of keep up with it. There's also a Twitter feed, uh, It's it, and, and the handle is at NFL Green, uh, and, and that works for both Twitter and for um, Instagram. Post a lot of uh, photos from our events, information about different things, and if we have uh, projects coming up where people can get involved, we'll put the information up there. You know, so so that's a good that's a good resource to have. All right. Now, here's one more question or one more comment. How about a call to action for our listeners? You want to you want to get people mobilized. How do you call them to action, Jack? I think the way that uh, Susan and I started off is is a pretty good jumping off point uh, for, for anyone. There isn't any of us. There, there is nobody listening to this who if you look around your your neighborhood, if you look around your community, um, you will see things that are broken. You will see things that need to be improved, that need to be repaired. Um, and then just ask yourself, you know, do I have the, you know, too often we say, gee, somebody should fix that. Why, why is, you know, look, look, look at this doggone mess in front of this school. Why doesn't somebody come down here and clean it up? Well, for goodness sake, if you've got a trash bag at home, get the trash bag and go down there yourself. And you, and you never know what's going to happen. Susan and I, we love to go to the beach. That's, that's, that's our happy place. So we go down to the beach. Um, we always bring a small trash bag with us. And we take long walks a couple of miles down and back on on the beach, a beautiful public beach that we go to. But by the time we've walked uh, a, a mile down the beach and a mile back, we usually have that entire bag filled with, with trash. Uh, just tons of junk that you find that people will carelessly throw around. And of course, almost every piece of this, especially the plastic pieces, is deadly for, for marine animals. But we, we will just, we just, do it because it's it's interesting to us, and we, and we like to leave every place a little better than we found it. If we wait for somebody else to do the right thing and wait for somebody else to tikkun alum to fix fix the world to to repair, honestly, I think it's never going to get done. But there's always something that we can fix, and you just got to look and say, "Could I fix this? If I could, what the heck? I'm, why wait for somebody else? I'll, I'll just go ahead and fix it." And, and we do that in our neighborhood. We do that when we go to the beach. Uh, and and thank goodness for the support we've gotten from NFL. We do that on the biggest stage in the world. So I, I think that's the place for everybody to start. Just look for that thing and realize, you know, and this is maybe where it comes to a matter of faith, to wrap up the faith and sustainability piece of this. Realize that maybe the reason you were put there on that day in that situation with that challenge in front of you and you were given whatever tools it takes to solve that, Maybe there's a reason behind that, and you and you shouldn't ignore that. You 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 should you should dive right in head first and say, "I was put here. I was put here to fix that." Very good message, Jack. You know, thank you for your time. I know you're you're busy, busy, busy coming up. Yeah, well, listen. Thank you so much for reaching out because it's always a pleasure to to chat with you, and we should probably do it more often. Yes. All right. You take care. All right. Thank you, Leonard. You've been listening to the Archdiocese of Atlanta Faith and Sustainability Podcast 
from the Chancery at the Archdiocese in beautiful Smyrna, Georgia. On behalf of those that make this podcast possible, I am your host, Leonard Robinson. Meet me next week on the corner of faith and sustainability. May the Lord be with you. The preceding podcast is a production of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Atlanta. Copyright 2023.